0: So my message this morning, very simple. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now, uh, hopefully, everybody's had some uh, lovely holiday traditions that you got to uh, do again this year. There's so many fun traditions. Uh, yesterday, we watched, uh, in addition to present opening and everything, we watched A Wonderful Life, and uh, we we had a uh, we have several traditions like that where we open the presents at a certain time, and, and uh, we, we uh, do a little kind of Advent commemoration at a certain time, and then we like to um, watch A wonderful, wonderful Life at a certain time, and we got to do all that fun stuff, and that was great. Um, one uh, strange tradition that I do, um, it's between me and my dad, um the, the week right before Christmas is we exchange text messages and we congratulate one another for having Survived through the darkest time of the year. So December 20th 21st 22nd right in there uh, is the the darkest time of the year The days are the shortest and the night is the longest and the reason my father and I congratulate each other uh, each year is because we both uh, suffer from something called uh, seasonal affective disorder, It's known as uh, the acronym for S.A.D. <laughs> uh, very appropriate, and when, what that means is that the lack of light uh, impacts your mood, uh, some people more severely than others, and so both my father and I uh, suffer from that. Uh, we have uh, our whole lives, and, uh, and so it's been, it's been very encouraging to kind of feel like I'm in the trenches with him. Uh, and, and, and so because of that struggle uh, that both my father and I faced, I, I have always been fascinated by the theme of light shining in the darkness. When it feels like the darkness is overwhelming, even crushing in its overwhelming nature, that in the middle of it, light can still shine. And, uh, and, and so I've come to appreciate uh, the 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 meaning of of, of Christmas uh, and, the, and, the, and the church's celebration of, of Christmas uh, I haven't always liked Christmas I'll be honest if those of you who know me I, I, I kind of get to be a little bit of a screw well uh, yeah a little grumpy I get a little grumpy um, around Christmas partly because of my seasonal affective disorder but uh, but over the years I've, I've begun to appreciate it because there's this theme of light in the darkness and so because of that, uh, there's, there's, there's been one person in Scripture who, well, many people, but there's one person in particular who has always really grabbed my attention. And I, I'd, I'd like you to turn with me um, to, uh, um, to uh, uh, this particular character. Uh, look with me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, this particular person, his name is Simeon. He only appears in this one part of Scripture. And, and then he, he disappears, and we never see him again, hear about him again. Uh, and it's a pretty brief little story, but it's, it's very significant, because Simeon, his whole life, was a, about clinging to that light that's shining in the darkness. So if, uh, you could turn with me in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called, called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So this is eight days after Jesus is born. So we're right in the heart of Christmas celebration territory here, Luke chapter 2. This is your Christmas sermon, okay? Uh, In verse 22, And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. Looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought uh, in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Really interesting story here of Simeon. And then he disappears. We never hear from him again. Uh, but clearly he had an impact on uh, Mary and Joseph. They you know, added to their... This long list of strange wonders and signs that were surrounding them constantly uh, around the birth of this child. Well, part of what fascinates me about Simeon is, uh, you know, we don't know how old he is, but, but we, 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 we do know probably for quite some time he's been clinging to this promise that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Lord's Salvation until he saw the Messiah, and you know, and again, we don't know exactly how long this has been, it's, but it's probably been a while because he says he's ready to depart now. Probably means he's older and maybe getting on in age. Uh, but imagine, have you ever had that experience in your life where, like, okay, I'm ready to die now because my experience I just had was so good, so wonderful that I'm ready to go. I, I'm ready to go to go home. I, I don't need to do anything else here on earth. Uh, and that's how this man, Simeon, felt. What's so strange about this, and why I'm, I'm saying, I'm fascinated by how he's able to cling to light in the middle of darkness, is I, I, I've been thinking about just how dark his world was. This is For decades now, by this point, the Romans have been governing in a very oppressive way the Jewish people. And there's no sign of that going away anytime soon. The Roman uh, Empire was so mighty and, and unrivaled in its power, and, uh, and, and here were the Jews for decades under the oppression of Roman rule, and no sign of any of that changing, okay? And, and most of us can't imagine that. I know some of you have come from countries where you've been under oppressive rule and— uh, and no sign of that changing, and how hopeless that makes you feel. I've talked to some of you who've described that for me, uh, how hopeless that is to be in a, 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 under a government that's so oppressive and, and there's no chance of it changing, uh, at least in, in your lifetime. Well, that was Simeon's condition, and yet somehow he was able to cling to the light. Now, w- what, I'm, what really surprises me about this story is that When he sees Jesus, what he sees is an eight-day-old baby, okay? An eight-day-old baby. Now, remember, most of the Jews at this time, they were expecting a Messiah. They were hoping in a Messiah. There was a lot of, uh, there there was this increasing sense that the Messiah was going to show up soon. But, of course, many of them thought that, this Messiah was going to come in on a, on a, on a white horse uh, with a mighty sword, and he was going to lead a great army to overthrow the Romans. And, uh, and, and yet here is this little baby who's obviously been born into a poor family, a f- poor family that has no real significance, with a lowly workman, uh, uh, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a surrogate father. Uh, <laughs> you know, this... This is, they're kind of in a miserable situation, and yet somehow Simeon is able to say he's ready to depart in peace because his eyes have seen the salvation of God. And it's just a, just a baby. He hasn't done anything yet, all right? So I, I've been asking this question for, for a couple months now. I've actually been prepping this message for a couple months. I've been asking this question, what made Simeon able to see? This it's popping up to ah, Going ahead, whoa. All right, there we go. Okay, that's, there we go. So the title of my question is, what of my sermon is, What Are You Waiting For? And uh, and that relates directly to this question, how was Simeon able to see what most of us would not be able to see in a little baby? Uh, Well, a few of these descriptions in verse 25, I think we can find some of our answer in there. It says that Simeon, The first thing it says about him is, oops, oh, I see, this is backwards, all right, that's what I, okay, Um, that is, okay, well, all right, this is not the order, is backwards, okay, all right, now that I've confused you all thoroughly, here we go, okay, the first thing it says about Simeon was that he was righteous. Now that means, for that day, it meant that he kept the Mosaic law. It meant that he was an upstanding individual, it meant he had integrity. He was honest. It meant his actions matched his words. He wasn't a hypocrite. Um, when he said something, he did it. He lived it out, uh, and and so that's that's the first description. I think that's that's an important one for us to pay attention to. Um, the second description of him was that he was devout. I think that's a really interesting word um, in Greek, uh, eulabis, and that means uh, to be very circumspect, very careful, very cautious, pious. It even has the connotation of being fearful, not afraid of like a, you know, a monster jumping out of the ocean at you, but, uh, but fearful in the sense of like, I so deeply respect God, I, I don't want to mess with what God's got going on here. I, I, I want to fully obey God. And so it says that he was a, a devout individual. Um, and, and, and this is in contrast, later in the story, Luke contrasts this description of other people devout with the Pharisees who uh, only appeared devout on the outside. Um, uh, that when Luke uses this phrase for people like Simeon, he's talking about a heartfelt, uh, sincere uh, kind of fear around God versus the, the uh the Pharisees who would just do everything for show. The, I'm, I'm going to actually skip to the, the, the third description. I'm going to skip to the fourth description where it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I, th- I think this is fascinating. This phrase, the Holy Spirit is upon him, that's the same phrase that would get used in the Old Testament for the prophets. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon the prophets temporarily to give them power so that when they spoke the word of God, the word of God would effectively touch people and change people. Uh, and, and so this, it was this phrase used for the prophets for this temporary uh, empowerment to speak God's word. And in the Old Testament, it would come upon people for specific tasks. For example, uh, Samson's strength, you know that story, or Bezalel, he was the artist who helped pull together the, uh, all the, the different pieces of the tabernacle back in Moses' day, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's the same phrase that gets used in the New Testament about John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah in chapter one verse 67, Elizabeth, in chapter one, verse 41. Um, what Luke, the author here is trying to do is he's, he wants to make it hundred percent clear to the reader that everything here is being orchestrated by God himself, that God is orchestrating this birth. God is orchestrating all the events around the birth. God is making it all happen. He wants the reader to be utterly convinced that this whole thing is of God. And the, the, the cool thing about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of cool things about the Holy Spirit, but uh, the Holy Spirit, when we look at how the Holy Spirit moves in other his movement is described in other parts of the Bible. We realize that the Holy Spirit loves, maybe more than anything else, the Holy Spirit loves to anticipate the appearing of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has, and we see it in other descriptions, the Holy Spirit has this extreme joy at the idea that the Son of God is about to appear. The Holy Spirit loves to say to our spirit, behold, here comes Jesus. He loves to grab our attention and turn it towards Jesus. Uh, he, he, uh, he loves to put the spotlight right on Jesus so that our attention to everything else fades away and so that we can rivet our attention on Jesus, he the Holy Spirit loves to captivate our affections, so that like Him, we will also anticipate the appearing of Jesus. Uh, the whole—you could even argue—I think it's—it's it's be very, uh, very solid biblical argument to to say that the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit here in our lives is to give Jesus the grandest entrance possible. You could even say the Holy Spirit lives to give Jesus a grand entrance. Uh, and and there's, there's incredibly important strategy in this. You see, our, our hearts, we all know how distracted our hearts are, even by innocent things. We all know how quickly our hearts uh, stray, our, our, how quickly our affections, we, our, our, our affection for God just kind of dissolves or vanishes. There's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that our, the love in our heart is like the morning mist. Uh, it just kind of disappears. So even when we say in a moment of deep movement, we'll say, oh, I, I love God, you know, minutes later, that love will just kind of fade away. But the Holy Spirit loves to recapture our heart, recapture our affection for God. And what he, likes, what he wants to convince us of, for, uh, the reason why he wants to grab our attention is he wants to convince us that our entire well-being, our entire welfare, our, all of our goodness is located exactly and precisely in the person of Jesus Christ. That all of our good, all of our benefit, all of our well-being, every, everything that could possibly good, be good for us, it's all in the person of Jesus. And the goal of that is so that we would value Jesus more highly than we are currently valuing Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think every one of us, I know I for sure can grow in my valuing of the person of Jesus Christ. I can, I can treasure him more and better than I'm currently treasuring him. I should hear a couple amens. Okay, thank you. All right. Yes, not very awake today. All right, I know, it's the day after Christmas. Um, but uh, I, I, I do need to hear a couple of those amens because I just said truth, okay? <laughs> um, all, thank you. All, all of us can uh, increase our treasuring and our valuing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and all of us need to be able to see in Jesus uh, that in him is all of our comfort, all of our strength, all of our wisdom, all of our blessedness, all of our happiness, and in no other place. There, uh, most of us, even those of us who claim to be Christians, most of us were searching for happiness in this place, in that place, and over here, and over there, and in this person, in this situation. And the Holy Spirit wants to keep bringing our attention back to uh, all of our happiness, all of our goodness is in the person of Jesus. Psalm 36 says that he, God, is the fountain of of living water. The Holy Spirit wants us to see that Jesus is the fountain of, our, of living water. Um, Isaiah 12 says that all of our fresh springs are in God. The Holy Spirit wants to convince us that this is true. All of our fresh springs are in Jesus himself. Uh, Psalm 73 says that our nearness to God is our good. In other words, if you were to put Our good up here, and then you put it to put an equal sign, what is our good? Then Psalm 73 says it's being near to God. The Holy Spirit wants to convince us that our goodness is being near to to Jesus. And Psalm 16 says that in his presence there is fullness of joy, and there are pleasures forevermore. That fullness of joy, that means you can't get any more joy. Than, than the fullness of joy. There's no, there's no way to exceed the fullness of joy. Fullness of joy is all the joy there is. Holy Spirit wants to convince us that that fullness is in the presence of Jesus himself. And pleasures forevermore, that means pleasures that don't end. All of our pleasures in this world, we, we taste them they, and, and they, they, they're there for a moment and then they disappear. They, they, they move on. But in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures that never end. They just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Most of us can't even imagine that because if you've lived more than a few years in your life, you, you know your pleasures come to an end. But the fullness of, God, of joy and, the, and pleasures that never end are in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit wants to convince us of that. So, praise God. If, like Simeon, the Holy Spirit is upon us, if the Holy Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit is doing that in you. The Holy Spirit is doing that in me. That's his job. I hope we can cooperate with what he's doing. Speaking of cooperation, I want to go back to this third description of Simeon. Um, it says here that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the consolation Israel. Fascinating way of describing things. This phrase, looking for, it's one word in Greek, prosdexomai, and what that means, it's a, it's a very interesting word. It means to look forward to with an eagerness and with a positive kind of anticipation. It means to wait for or hope in and uh, to receive. With, uh, with excitement, with eagerness, and to receive with a, a welcoming approval. A welcoming approval. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the, you know, let, maybe this is fresh in your minds now, maybe there was a particular package that you were waiting to receive in, the, in recent weeks, and you were so excited about that package that you were, actually, you were kind of nervous, it actually woke you up. Uh, maybe earlier and you're thinking about that package and you were, you know, you, you imagine somebody standing on their porch or at their front door and they're rubbing their hands together and they can't wait for that one particular package to come. It, it, it distracts you from everything else, doesn't it? It maybe occupies your, your thoughts when you're supposed to be doing something else. Uh, that that sense of kind of welcoming approval, or or maybe there was a guest that you received at your house over the holidays. And you were so excited for them to come. You it, it it you were thinking about their arrival. Uh, you know before they well before they showed up, and, and when they did showed up show up there was this great joy in your in your heart. It that word pros dexomai has that connotation, has that feel to it of of welcoming some something someone. Uh, with approval, with anticipation, with excitement, with joy. Um, it's, it's that posture of, I'm eager to receive this. And so here's a question for us. Am I, are you, are we looking for Jesus like Simeon was looking for Jesus? Am I, are we looking forward with eagerness with positive anticipation with hope with a welcoming approval the way that simeon was looking for jesus and i i i i asked this question because i think this is a key part of the the secret this is this is a key part of how simeon was able to recognize jesus jesus's appearance because the fact is if I had been in Simeon's place and I saw an eight-day-old baby brought to the temple, probably with, there were probably dozens or hundreds of, of other eight-day-old babies brought that day by poor, insignificant parents, I don't think I would have, that that would not have been my first thought. Oh, that's, that's the Messiah. That's the salvation of Israel that makes me say I can depart in peace. I can die now because I've seen it. I don't think I would do that. But, Simeon had been looking for the consolation of Israel. Simeon's whole inner being was attentive and open and eager and waiting and ready to embrace the consolation of Israel. And most significantly, he was ready to embrace the consolation of Israel in whatever form he showed up. Is that, that I'm, this is really important what I'm saying here. Because like most of the Jews, many of us are looking for Jesus to show up as a conquering hero with a big sword on a white charger, and he's going to get rid of our problems. He's going to get rid of the political party we don't like. He's going to get rid of the people who are mean to us. He's going to get rid of those people who are causing me problems. He's going to take care of, of everything here in this life. That, that's how most of us are are looking for him to show up. And if it's anything less than that, well, I'm not ready to die yet because, man, he's not showing up, all right? Are you and I ready for him to show up in some kind of obscure, hidden way? And I would propose to you that you're not ready for him to show up on the white charger with the big sword until you're ready for him to show up Any way he wants to show up, no matter how hidden or obscure it might be. Uh, Just contemplate with me for a minute. Think through this with me, okay? Almost all of the appearances of Jesus in his lifetime were very obscure and hidden and lonely. First of all, he shows up as a baby. Soon after, when do we see him next? He's a refugee. How more lowly can a person be in this life than to be a refugee who has to, who is chased from their homeland and security and everything familiar uh, into something unfamiliar and, and, and sometimes more dangerous. He shows up as a refugee. And then, as an adult, how does he show up? A lowly tradesman. A lowly tradesman, no resources, no worldly significance. He's a lowly tradesman like Joseph. And, and, and then think of all the times, even though his ministry has begun, he's already started doing miracles. And uh, in Mark chapter 3 or in John chapter 7, uh, he, he, his brothers show up and they're, they're just like, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the brothers. And even at one point in John 7, his family shows up, it says, to take custody of him because they're worried he's, he's, a weirdo he's a you know they see the miracles but they're also like this is getting really weird guys we need to like take him into custody or something so it says about his brothers that even they weren't believing in him uh, and then in, in, in Matthew chapter 13 um, it, and, and in John 6 uh, the people in the village where he grew up in Nazareth they say oh yeah isn't this the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know and, and, and the, the connotation here is, like, why, why is he getting so big for his britches? Like, why does he think he's so important? What's so special about him? You know, yeah, maybe there's some miracles, but this is, this is just the uh, son of Joseph, uh, whose father and mother we know. Nothing special about him. Imagine that, okay? Now, now uh, uh, we often go, oh, if I had been living then, I would have recognized him. Oh, well, eh, if you'd grown up with him, I don't know if you would have recognized would you recognize it? Think of the, 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 when you were growing up, the nerdiest, most weird, least likely to succeed person uh, that you know. Imagine if that's how Jesus had showed up in your life. Would you or I be like, oh yeah, that, now I can depart in peace because I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I don't know. And then in John 7, one of the accusations that the Pharisees had of Jesus was that he was this sort of self-proclaimed rabbi. He, he had no formal rabbinical education. And, uh, and here he was acting like a rabbi, and they noted him for having no education in John chapter 7. And then, of course, the part he shows up that's emblazoned in all of our imagination, he the slow torturing to death that was reserved for criminals. Slow torture to death that was reserved just for the, not just any criminals, the worst of criminals would be tortured to death the way Jesus was tortured to death. Now, in the Jewish mindset, we have to understand, most of them believed that if you're successful in life, that means God is approving of you, and if you're unsuccessful in life, that means you got, must have some secret sin that God is judging, okay? And, uh, and so even some of the people who'd been following him, who'd seen the miracles, who were excited about Jesus, well, maybe he really is the Messiah, when they saw him dying a criminal's death, the conclusion for many of them wasn't, oh, this is so tragic, oh, those evil Romans, oh, those Pharisees, I'm so mad at them, this is, this is so unjust. No, they were like, uh, eh, he probably had some secret sins we didn't know about, and now he's suffering his just punishment. So that was... Scandalous for Jesus to die on the cross the way he died on the cross. <clears throat> and even after his resurrection, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him at first when she saw him in the garden. Um, on, in Luke chapter 24, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him uh, at first. The, the, the 12 disciples later that night, they didn't recognize him when he appeared. Um, Thomas didn't recognize him when he appeared. I said, I have to see those wounds. I have to put my fingers in the wounds if I'm really going to believe. Uh, there, there is an ancient description for the last uh, 2,000 years, an ancient description in the church of, of communion. Um, it's just a piece of bread and, uh, you know, through most of history, some wine, some, some churches we use juice. Uh, the, 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 what they would say is that Jesus hides himself in the simplicity of bread. Jesus hides himself. Bread, nothing could be more common. Nothing could be more lowly. You know, it's not like a fancy uh, cake or something. Nothing could be more common or lowly than a piece of bread. And uh, the church has always said that Jesus hides himself in that simple piece of bread. And and then, of course, remember in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 46, Jesus said he's going to show up, how? As the least of these. The least of these, the people in prison. The, the poor, the sick. Jesus says that's how he's going to show up in this life. And so the question I've been asking myself for the last couple of months as I've been meditating on this passage is, am I cultivating Simeon's capacity to see Jesus? Especially am I cultivating that capacity when I'm in the darkness? When the the darkness of this world, the darkness of the pandemic, the darkness of our divisions, the darkness of all the things we're facing right now, am I cultivating Simeon's capacity to cling to the light that's there, to see Jesus, to recognize him even in the least of these? You see, a maturing Christian is increasingly able to see Jesus hidden in the darkness. In fact, a very mature Christian has cultivated and nurtured the capacity to see Jesus all day long, every day. Interestingly, though, often it's young believers, new believers, who have more kind of vivid, dramatic stories of seeing Jesus. And that's because, because of their youngness, because of their immaturity, God will gently shock them with the dramatic nature of, of, of Jesus' appearing in their lives. But then, to train them in faith, God will very gently and very gradually uh, make the appearances of God just a, a little softer, a little more obscure, a little more hidden, and it's all to train us to be like Simeon and live by faith. So that even if we just get the teeniest glimpse of Jesus in our lives, we'll be able to say, like Simeon, I can depart in peace. My eyes have seen, my eyes have have seen your salvation. And, And here's the thing, you guys. If I can't find Jesus in the obscure, hidden ways that he shows up in my life, especially as the least of these, if I can't welcome him that way, I might not be ready to welcome him when he comes again in his second coming. Now, I, I, I don't want, to, want there to be any confusion about it. In Mark 24, it says this about his second coming. Um, Matthew, thank you, Matthew 24, says, uh, um, If you say, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Uh, Behold, he is in the inner room. Don't believe them. Verse 27, it says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, And then the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, in verse 30. In, In other words, when Jesus comes again, it will be... Everyone will see it. There's going to be no hiddenness about Jesus' second coming. It's going to, that's really when he is going to come on the white charger with the, with the sword in his hand and, and conquer all of his foes for the final time, and, and everyone will see it. There won't be any mistake, okay? So when I say you might not be ready to welcome him uh, that way in his second coming, if you're not ready to welcome him now, I'm not saying that you're not going to see his second coming. Everyone is going to see his second coming, whether you're ready or not. My my question isn't, are you going to see it? My question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready? Because if we're not looking for him in his obscure, hidden appearances, that probably means we're not looking for his big second appearance. We're probably not. See, Simeon's life was meant to be an example for us, not that we have to go back in time and and, and try to relive what it was like before Jesus showed up the first time. Simeon is supposed to be an example to us for how we're supposed to get ready for the second coming. Like Simeon, we also need to be looking for the consolation of Israel. We need to be welcoming him with anticipation and excitement like that person on the porch waiting for that uh, package to come or waiting for that special guest to arrive, am I ready? Are you ready? Have I made my peace with God? Have I trusted God to wipe away my sins by his death on the cross? In, In Scripture, it says God is too holy to dwell in the presence of sin. Have I trusted that his work on the cross has taken away that sin so that it can actually dwell in the presence of a holy God? Have I turned away from my offenses against God and have I turned towards everything that pleases him? Have I turned from a life centered on me and have I turned towards a life centered on him? Have I made the glory of God and the kingdom of God my highest ambition? Or am I still mucking around here trying to make my own kingdom, trying to glorify myself? Have I detached the treasures of my heart from all the things I've attached it to here on earth? And have I attached the treasures of my heart to him, given my heart entirely to him to make him my treasure? Have I, am I ready to welcome his second coming with a, a docile heart? A docile heart, that means a heart that's ready to serve at his sudden appearance, ready to be interrupted, ready for him to burst into my reality with no warning, like it says he's going to in, in Scripture, and ready to bow my knee and say, I'm ready to serve whatever you want. Am I ready to drop my own interest in an in, instant and instantly take up his interests? This is actually the point of Christmas. You may have believed your whole life the point of Christmas is about a cute little baby, but <laughs> it's not about his cuteness, all right? It's about welcoming him. We, 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 we remember every year to welcome him in his first appearing to prepare us to welcome him for his second appearing. Okay, that's the point of Christmas. That's why we do it again and again, year after year. It's not just so you can get presents, not so you can... Put up pretty decorations. It's not so like me. Uh, You can uh, have a little bit of joy in the middle of darkness. (laughs) It's 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 so that you can prepare your heart. You can you can act just like Simeon, getting ready for his first coming. You can get ready for his second coming. The church has known for two thousand years that we're terrible at waiting. We're distracted. We're discouraged. We're preoccupied. We're bored. We think it's a waste of time. And so Christmas reminds us every year to get ready for him, to prepare, to wait, to to live a life looking for the consolation of Israel. Oh, I'm standing on that porch. I can't wait for you to come, Jesus. And even if you show up now in a little obscure way, a little hidden way, I'm I'm ready to receive you. I'm ready to receive you because there will come a day that you will appear with no warning. Am I ready? Is my 2022, is it going to be a year filled with looking for Jesus despite all the darkness? I'm not going to belittle how dark the world is, and I wish I could give you uh, a a time frame that we're going to be done with masks, and we're going to be done with a hundred other things that, uh, that are so frustrating to all of us. I wish I could give you a time frame. I can't give you a time frame, but... Will 2022 be a year filled with looking for Jesus? Will it be a year of of welcoming Him with that eager anticipation? Uh, I would love the uh, worship team coming up. This first song that we're gonna sing, I, I want to encourage you to use this time to, as we sing this song, to rededicate yourself. Give your heart back to him and rededicate yourself to looking for Jesus, uh, to radically opening up your heart and your emotions and your affections and your treasuring and, and say, I'm looking for you, Jesus. However you show up, even if it's as a little obscure hidden baby, I'm ready. Even if it's as the least of these, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm waiting, I'm open to you showing up, Lord. Almighty God, we, by your grace, stand on your solid rock. Oh, please be a solid rock to us. Lord, some of us need to be drawn out of deep waters. As Millie was sharing, some of us, us, Lord, need our hearts open to you so that we will... Lord, we will see you even when you appear to us as an obscure baby. Even when you appear to us as the least of these. Even when you appear to us in a cross. That was when you most revealed your love to the whole world. Is in the moment you were tortured to death. And so, God, we, we pray, even if we encounter you in the darkest place, grant us the grace to see you. Grant us eyes to see you. And grant us hearts that are looking for the consolation of Israel. So, may the love of God the Father, may the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, And may the empowerment of the Holy Spirit go with you from this place into the world, making disciples, teaching to obey all that the Lord has commanded. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go with you, and Merry Christmas.